Daniel chapter 9. Let's just get right into it here. Lord Jesus, thank You for Your Word. And thank You, Father, for speaking into our lives. And I continue to pray, Lord, for every individual here tonight, every person in our fellowship. Father, truly for every brother and sister in Christ throughout this world, I pray that You give us all ears to hear. And I don't mean just the teaching of Your Word. I'm praying, Lord, that You will give us ears to hear Your voice. That we will be a people in tune with You. Your people on this earth called by the name of Christ. Father, there's far too many of us who go from day to day without hearing. Far too many who don't even know they can hear. Far too many who strive after hearing when You've made it so simple for us. And I pray You'll illuminate that for us tonight with Daniel. But I just continue to pray for what I would call, Lord, a final work of Your Spirit. And we know the days are coming to a close. We know we are in the latter part of the last days. We see what's going on in the world around us. We see the direction Your Word points. We long for the coming of Jesus. And so we just ask that Your Spirit would both give Your church ears to hear and voices to speak the Gospel truth with whatever time we have left. Ask for a blessing, Lord, on Your Word tonight. Give us understanding and clarity. And fill us, Lord, with the kind of passion we see in Daniel, which I don't believe came from Daniel. I believe it came from You. We seek that same fervency, that same passion, that same love for You, Lord. And so we humbly open Your Word. Loving You, Father, in Jesus' name. Amen. I don't even know how many times over the years the question is asked, but we'll ask it again tonight. What is required of a man or required of a woman to hear the Lord? I mean, what does it take for us to actually be so in tune with the Father that we hear Him answer us? That we know He's directing us. That we are fully aware of Him telling us which way to go. And I'm not talking about playing games. I'm not talking about playing religion. And I'm not talking about some weird spacey effect. I'm talking about hearing from our Father. I'm talking about listening to the voice of Jesus. I mean, He says, My sheep hear My voice. Which indicates to me, if if the words of Jesus are as literal as the rest of Scripture, we should be able to hear so that we can obey. So what does it take? Daniel heard from the Lord, right? We all pretty clear on that by now? By Daniel chapter 9, we should know that Daniel heard from the Lord. Daniel saw visions. Daniel interpreted dreams. Daniel was given the interpretation of dreams by the Lord, by revelation from God the Father Himself. Daniel heard... The Lord. He was a man of integrity. He's a man of honor, courage. A man, the Word tells us, who was highly esteemed by the Lord. But are these the reason that God 
chose or the reasons that God chose to speak to Daniel. Well, this guy is highly esteemed. We've got to give him some, some words here. Oh, look at the fruit in her life. She's worth my voice. You know where I'm going with this. It has nothing to do with Daniel. I believe the Lord spoke to Daniel. I believe Daniel was enabled to hear the Lord for two very specific reasons. And it's the two reasons the apostles clued into very quickly. Acts chapter 6, verse 4, where they said to the gathered church, we will devote ourselves to prayer and to the ministry of the Word. You know what that was in response to? There was a disagreement about the food distribution to the widows of the Greek Jews versus the the fully Hebrew Jews, the Hellenistic Jews and the non-Hellenistic. And they're disputing over who was going to get the food and how it was going to get passed out fairly to all the widows. And this dispute rises up and it comes before the apostles. And quickly and wisely they respond, this is not the stuff of our concern. In fact, I believe it's Peter who said, we're not going to wait on tables. I read that, and to be honest, I'm a little shaken by it. Peter, dude, if you're not willing to stack chairs, get off the bus, man. We don't need you. But Peter's attitude was right. The apostles' hearts were right. If we're going to lead this burgeoning church, I'm putting words in their mouth, but I believe this is the thinking. If we're going to lead this church that started out as 3,000 and by Acts chapter 6 was already up to 5,000, we got to hear from God. So choose from among yourselves, they said, some guys of, of you know wisdom and, and well-known, well-respected in the community. Let them deal with this. And so they chose seven, and, and they went back to the business of devoting themselves to prayer and the ministry of the Word. Why? Because hearing the Lord is the most important thing a church can do. It's primary. If we're not hearing from Him, what are we doing? We're living by our strategies is what we're doing. We're doing things our way. So to hear from the Lord, prayer and the ministry of the Word. Now we could just close our Bibles and go home because that's basically what I'm going to tell you tonight. You want to hear the Lord. You need to be in prayer and the ministry of the Word. You want to get accustomed to His voice. Prayer and the ministry of the Word. If you want to hear from the Lord, take a cue from Daniel. Daniel poured over the Word. Verse 1, chapter 9. In the first year of Darius, the son of Ahasuerus. So this is 539 B.C. Darius of Median descent, who was made king over the kingdom of the Chaldeans. Note that he was made king. By who? Probably by Cyrus, who appointed him king. We're talking about Guberu here. I just wanted to say his name one more time. In the first year of his reign, I, Daniel, observed in the books the number of the years that was the word of the Lord to Jeremiah the prophet for the completion of the desolations of Jerusalem, 70 years. So I gave my attention to the Lord God to seek Him by prayer, supplications, with fasting, sackcloth, and ashes... As we open up Daniel chapter 9 for Bible study, we find Daniel in Bible study. This is what he's doing. Daniel chapter 9 begins with this prophet in the Word, deep in the Word, studying Jeremiah. And for those prophets among us, understand your prophecy isn't worth a whole lot if you're not in the Word of God. How do you know what you're hearing is from the Lord if you don't have something to base it on, compare it to, uphold it by? 
And Daniel is in the Word and he's studying the Word. And I am convinced, if not for Daniel's faithful attention to the Scriptures, we would not have one of the most significant prophecies in all of history, which is given to us in this chapter. But it begins with Daniel pouring over the Word. Why is he pouring over the Word? Because the Word of God not only opens our ears to hear Him, but it softens our hearts to be ready for Him. It prepares us to do whatever He wants us to do, to be ready when He calls. And it makes our hearts like the clay that our hearts are supposed to be like, moldable and formable and shapeable. Daniel's in the Word, but Daniel's people, Israel, by contrast, were not, and their hearts were hardening. Even in Daniel's day. Now, 500 years later, the Apostle Paul would write in Romans 11.25, I do not want you, brethren, to be uninformed of this mystery, so that you will not be wise in your own estimation that a partial hardening has happened to Israel until the fullness of the Gentiles has come in. So, Rick, you think that partial hardening has to do with Bible study? I absolutely do. In the great days of the first surge of prophets, you could call it, there were two great surges of prophets. If you look across the history of Israel, there were times where there was one prophet prophesying at a time, like the days of Elijah, when he alone really was prophesying until he passed the mantle to Elisha. But there were also a couple of periods of time where there was a surge. And around the mid-700s B.C., Isaiah came on the scene. At the same time as Isaiah was prophesying, Jonah, Micah, Hosea, and Amos. All prophesying at the same time. God was trying to alert His people. No one was listening. Their hearts were growing hard. The prophet Amos wrote in Amos 8.11, right around 750 B.C., Behold, days are coming, declares the Lord God, when I will send a famine on the land. Not a famine for bread or a thirst for water, but rather for hearing the words of the Lord. People will stagger from sea to sea and from north even to the east. They will go to and fro to seek the word of the Lord, but they will not find it. In other words, use it or lose it. That's what Amos was saying. That's what the Lord was saying there. There's a famine in my word because you're not in my word. And if you're not going to eat my word, I'm not going to leave it on the shelf to go bad. You need to be in my word, otherwise you will not be able to find my word when you are desperate for it. Because Daniel was pouring over the prophecies of Jeremiah, he was prepared to hear an epic prophecy. Well, what was it that Daniel realized in his study? Verse 3 tells us, he figured it out. The time of the captivity is almost over. How does he realize that? Turn back in your Bibles to Jeremiah. Jeremiah chapter 25, verse 8. Therefore, thus says the Lord of hosts, because you have not obeyed my words, behold, I will send and take all the families of the north, declares the Lord. I will send to Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, my servant, and I will bring them against this land and against its inhabitants and against all these nations round about, and I will utterly destroy them and make them a horror and a hissing and an everlasting desolation. Moreover, I will take from them the voice of joy and the voice of gladness, the voice of the bridegroom and the voice of the bride, the sound of the millstones and the light of the lamp. This whole land will be a desolation and a horror, and these nations will serve the king of Babylon 70 years. Daniel's reading along, doing his daily devotion. 
his Bible study time. And he hits that verse and it hits Daniel like a ton of bricks. We are almost done. It's almost been 70 years. Now let me ask you, do you think Daniel believed God literally? Yes. Of course he did. And his example is a good one to take. God says it, it's going to happen. And Daniel the prophet said, Jeremiah said 70 years, we're almost to 70 years, time's up. Something is going to change here. Why was it, by the way, a 70 year rebellion? We've talked about this. Among all their other rebellions and idolatry and sin, the people of Israel had ignored what is called the Shemitah. The Shemitah, which is the sabbatical year. I'm going to just read this to you. You can jump back there if you want to, but Leviticus chapter 25. Leviticus 25, verse 1. Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, so third book in the Bible. Let's see how quick you are. I'm going to start reading right now. The Lord then spoke to Moses at Mount Sinai, saying, Speak to the sons of Israel and say to them, When you have come into the land which I shall give you, then the land shall have a Sabbath to the Lord. Six years you shall sow your field, and six years you shall prune your vineyard and gather its crops. But during the seventh year, the land shall have a Sabbath rest, a Sabbath to the Lord. You shall not sow your field, nor prune your vineyard. Your harvests after growth you shall not reap, and your grapes of untrimmed vines you shall not gather. The land shall have a sabbatical year. All of you shall have the Sabbath products of the land for food, for yourself, your male and female slaves, your hired men, your foreign resident, those who live as aliens with you, even your cattle and the animals that that are in your land shall have all its crops to eat. What he's saying is six years, work it. Toil under the sun. Bring the produce out of the land. Make it fruitful. That's awesome. But in the seventh year, here's what I want you to do, Israel. I'd like you to take the year off. I can't for the life of me understand why they didn't do this. Can you imagine? Every six years you get the year off. And God says, and I will so provide for you that you can go out into the field and the food will be there. You can eat every day. There's going to be plenty of food for you. It's not going to stop. It'll just keep going. In fact, in other places we discover that it goes so well, it'll feed them for two years because then they have the next year where they have to plant again, right? The eighth year or the first year of the, of the next cycle. But you'll be provided for then too. You just, you just get to kick back and relax for a year while the land rests. The Shemitah. The sabbatical year. They were commanded this also in Exodus 23, verses 10 and 11. God said, this is important business. I want you to pay attention to me and I want you to keep my law. My law is good for you. My law is good for the land. Well, for 490 years, the people ignored the command. They never did it once. Never took that year off. And so the land was robbed of the Shemitah 70 times. And God said, therefore, you're going to spend 70 years in Babylon while my land has its Sabbath. I'm going to let you take a hike over there for a while. You're not going to be around to till and take care of the land during all that time. Second Chronicles 36 verses 20 through 21 detail that historically and tell how the Lord said, this is the deal. 70 years. Because you did not keep the Shemitah. Well, Daniel saw this. Daniel, reading Jeremiah 25, saw that the 70 years were just about up, knew that the 70 years were because of the failure of Israel to keep God's law, but Daniel saw something else too. 
In Jeremiah 29, another section of Jeremiah, he may have been studying at the time. Thus says the Lord, when 70 years have been completed for Babylon, I will visit you and fulfill my good word to you and bring you back to this place. For I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord, plans for welfare and not for calamity to give you a future and a hope. When the 70 years are over, I'm bringing you home. Homecoming! Time to come back! Marvelous, wonderful, exciting! And a paltry number of Jews would return. Well, Paul declared the same hope and future for Israel. An even greater hope and future. In Romans 11.26, he says, So all Israel will be saved. Just as it is written, the Deliverer will come from Zion. He will remove ungodliness from Jacob. We'll see that tonight. At least see it described. Even if Jesus came tonight, it would still take about seven years for it all to come together. But we'll talk about that in just a minute. The practical reason for Israel's 70-year captivity was the Shemitah. But there's also a prophetic reason. A prophetic reason because those 70 years foreshadowed another time frame of 70 for Israel. And so while Daniel is thinking about the 70 years of captivity just about to be fulfilled, suddenly the Lord is going to bring to him a prophecy related to 70 as well that is absolutely huge. And we are going to see that before we're finished tonight. I'm not saving it for Sunday. Who knows, Jesus might beat us to the punch. Okay. So as Daniel poured over the Scriptures, he was prepared for an ear-opening process. He prepares through Bible study to pray. Which I find ironic because a lot of times we do it the other way around. We pray first and then we get into the Word. Well, Daniel got into the Word and it prepared his heart for a time of prayer. Verse 3 continuing. So I gave my attention to the Lord God to seek Him by prayer and supplications with fasting, sackcloth, and ashes. I like the way he says that. I gave my attention to the Lord. Prayer is not about me getting God's attention. Prayer is about God getting my attention. And when I pray to get His attention, Oh Lord, here's the litany of problems going on in my life. Can you just do something about this? I'm missing the point of prayer. C.S. Lewis once said, I don't pray to change God. I pray to change me. I don't pray to get His attention. Hey Lord, are you up there? I pray so that He can get my attention. So that He can turn my eyes His direction. John Corson once said, God is a great conversationalist. Jesus put it this way. John 8.47 He who is of God hears the words of God. For this reason you do not hear because you are not of God. Now he's talking to the Pharisees. These are the guys whose prayers were so much about their words and spewing their own self-righteousness, there's no way they were going to hear from God. Their prayers were about them. Their words were about drawing attention to how holy they were before all the people. And so God says, you don't hear God because you are not of God. To be of God means to be about what matters to God. His concerns are my concerns. And not the other way around. You want to talk to God? You want to hear from God? Let Him start the conversation. 
Let him speak to you. Well, I, I, this just sounds weird, Rick. You're getting all Pentecostal on me. No, I'm getting Jesus on you. Because Jesus said, My sheep hear my voice. Daniel let God start the conversation. How? He heard from the Word. He started in the Word of God. He began by paying attention to what God had spoken. He was listening to the Word, paying attention to it, and that begins the prayer. He heard from the Word, he prayed, and then he hears from the Lord. Well, let's listen in on Daniel's prayer, verse 4. I prayed to the Lord my God and confessed and said, Alas, O Lord, the great and awesome God who keeps His covenant and loving kindness for those who love Him and keep His commandments. We have sinned, committed iniquity, acted wickedly and rebelled, even turning aside from Your commandments and ordinances. Moreover, we have not listened to Your servants the prophets who spoke in Your name to our kings, our princes, our fathers, and all the people of the land. Righteousness belongs to You, O Lord, but to us open shame. As it is this day to the men of Judah, the inhabitants of Jerusalem, and all Israel, those who are nearby and those who are far away in all the countries to which You have driven them because of their unfaithful deeds which they have committed against You. Open shame belongs to us, O Lord, to our kings, our princes, our fathers, because we have sinned against You. To the Lord our God belong compassion and forgiveness, for we have rebelled against Him. Nor have we obeyed the voice of the Lord our God to walk in His teachings, which He set before us through His servants the prophets. Indeed, all Israel has transgressed Your law and turned aside, not obeying Your voice. So the curse has been poured out on us, along with the oath which was written in the law of Moses, the servant of God, for we have sinned against Him, Him being God. Thus He has confirmed His words, which He had spoken against us and against our rulers who ruled us, to bring on us great calamity. For under the whole heaven there has not been done anything like what was done to Jerusalem. As it is written in the law of Moses, all this calamity has come on us. Yet, we have not sought the favor of the Lord our God by turning from our iniquity and giving attention to your truth. Therefore, the Lord has kept the calamity in store and brought it on us. For the Lord our God is righteous with respect to all His deeds which He has done. But we have not obeyed His voice. And now the Lord our God who have brought your people out of the land of Egypt with a mighty hand and have made a name for yourself as it is this day. We have sinned. We have been wicked. O Lord, in accordance with all your righteous acts, let now your anger and your wrath turn away from your city, Jerusalem, your holy mountain. For because of our sins and the iniquities of our fathers, Jerusalem and your people have become a reproach to all those around us. So now, O Lord, our Lord, our God, Listen to the prayer of your servant and to his supplications. And for your sake, O Lord, let your face shine on your desolate sanctuary. O my God, incline your ear and hear. Open your eyes and see our desolations and the city which is called by your name. For we are not presenting our supplications before you on account of any merits of our own. 
but on account of your great compassion. Oh Lord, hear. Oh Lord, forgive. Oh Lord, listen and take action for your own sake. Oh my God, do not delay because your city and your people are called by your name. Wow. Wow. This prayer takes roughly three minutes to pray in Hebrew. Just three minutes long. God's response spans 490 years. (laughs) And along with Ezra chapter 9, Nehemiah chapter 9, Daniel chapter 9 is one of what we could call the three great prayer chapters of the Bible. And it's interesting because all three are of the exiles. If you go to those other chapters, check out what Ezra prayed. Check out what Nehemiah prayed and compare it with Daniel. That would be a great study to do on your own. We don't have time to tonight. But check out all those three together in concert one with another because they are the prayers of exiles. They are the prayers of those who realize how far Israel had drifted from the Lord. You see, there are a remnant of people who believe. Ezra, Nehemiah, Daniel among them. Well, there are several great prayer points to be made here. Um, we could do a whole teaching. In fact, we could probably do several just on the verses we just read. I encourage you to think through this. In fact, if you want some homework for this next week, I know a few of you are looking for homework. Take this passage, read it through, and see what it says. Ask the Lord what He's saying in it. I don't think He's interested in what you think about it as much as we need to be interested in what He's saying. So read it and check it out. Think it through. Several things. Daniel poured over the Word as we already said. But Daniel also was positioned to pray. Fasting with sackcloth and ashes. Fasting is a a marvelous way to approach the Lord in prayer. In fact, uh, they have done studies to show that fasting actually gives you clarity of thinking. And once you get over the initial hunger pains, you get into the fast a little ways, you begin to think more clearly than when your belly is full. And so Daniel has been fasting and he's in sackcloth and ashes in absolute humility and repentance. He is in a position to pray. He was personally penitent. I find this fascinating. Throughout the prayer, Daniel owns the sin of his people. Daniel, who with the one exception perhaps of Joseph, is never mentioned to sin anywhere in Scripture. And yet he says, he claims, I have sinned, we have sinned. He owns the sin of his people and his own sin. He is personally penitent. So he pours over the word. He's positioned to pray. He's personally penitent. And and this is amazing, Daniel petitions the character of God. And we talked about this a little bit last week. But verses 15 through 19, Daniel cries out the word, your, 21 times. In those five verses, 21 times he says, Your, your, your. It's about your compassion. It's about your loving kindness. It is about your faithfulness, faithfulness, not ours, not mine. He doesn't appeal to God saying, Lord, I've been in your word studying pretty hard. So I think you need to give ear to my requests. He doesn't say, Check me out. I'm starving and I'm in sackcloth and ashes. Bless me, Lord. He doesn't say, listen to my penitent voice, O Lord, and grant me supplication, grant me answer. No, Daniel appeals to the Lord. Look at the end of of verse 18. We are not 
presenting our supplications before you on account of any merits of our own, but on account of your great compassion. O Lord, hear. O Lord, forgive. O Lord, listen and take action for your own sake. For your sake. And I told you last week, this is completely turning around the way that I view prayer. And the way I'm realizing we need to come before the Lord in prayer, if we want to hear the voice of the Lord, we need to come with His agenda, not ours. And we need to come appealing to His nature, not ours. And as I said before, oh Lord, you know, He's so faithful, would you heal Him? It has nothing to do with the guy's faithfulness. Oh Lord, but she's such a good person. It doesn't have anything to do with her goodness. He's faithful, He's good, appealing to His character, and we see Daniel doing that. Petitioning the character of God. Nothing strips away religiosity like recognizing our prayers do not rise up on the strength of our own words or our integrity. Our prayers are heard and answered because He is a God of great compassion. That's why He answers us. Now again, there's much more that can be drawn out of Daniel's prayer, but there's one more practical issue I want you to see before we move on. You can't miss this. If Daniel knew that this prophecy was about to be fulfilled, why did he pray? If he knew God was about to do this, as God said He was in His Word, why waste your time, Daniel? And not only why did Daniel pray, but why does he pray so fervently? It's almost as if when you read the prayer, Daniel thought he could have some effect on the outcome. And I think he did. Because Daniel prevails upon the promises of God. In this prayer, Daniel prevails upon the promises. What do you mean? Charles Spurgeon put it this way. Oh, that you studied your Bibles more. Oh, that we all did. How then we could plead the promises. How often we should prevail with God when we could hold Him to His Word and say, Fulfill this Word unto Thy servant whereon Thou hast caused me to hope. Oh, it is grand praying when our mouth is full of God's Word. For there is no word which can prevail with Him like His own. Prevailing prayer. Daniel is prevailing upon the Lord to keep His Word. Daniel is calling on the Lord to do what the Lord said he would do. Prevailing prayer. But understand, prevailing prayer is not just being in agreement with God. Prevailing pr- Listen, prevailing prayer is positioning for a sooner response. Now chew on that for a second. Jillian, I want to give you a chance to write that down. Okay. <laughs> She goes, thank you. There are no planes flying. I mean, you know, so it's just hitting you like a ton of bricks. All right. Prevailing prayer is not just agreeing with God. It is positioning for a sooner response. Daniel is saying, Lord, I know you're going to do this. Could you do it now? Could you move it up? Can can you speed up the timetable a bit? Where are you getting this, Rick? I'll, I'll show you. But why don't you turn right now over to the book of Luke, chapter 18. Luke, chapter 18. You may be familiar with the parable. 
but it is profound that Jesus chose to, to explain prayer this way. Luke chapter 18, verse 1, He was telling them a parable to show that at all times they ought to pray and not to lose heart. Saying, in a certain city there was a judge who did not fear God and did not respect man. There was a widow in that city, and she kept coming to him, saying, Give me legal protection from my opponent. For a while he was unwilling. But afterward, he said to himself, Even though I do not fear God nor respect man, yet because this widow bothers me, I will give her legal protection. Otherwise, by continually coming, she will wear me out. And the Lord said, Hear what the unrighteous judge said. Now will not God bring about justice for His elect who cry to Him day and night? And listen, will He delay long over them? I tell you that He will bring about justice for them quickly. However, when the Son of Man comes, will He find faith on the earth? I love that parable. I feel like that judge sometimes. Not with any of you. But, you know, the whole idea is someone just bugging you and they won't leave you alone for an answer about something and finally you give them an answer just to get it off your plate. You know how the emails stack up? Does that happen to you? You got a whole list of emails, you're like, man, I got to get back to these. And, and you look and there's like 400 and you're like, okay, I got to start somewhere. Yes, 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 no, yes, yes, no, you know. Just, just to get it off your And that's the deal with the judge. She's bugging me. So I'm going to give her a, a sooner response than if she wasn't bugging me. And Jesus says, God loves you. He cares so much for you. Don't you think as His children, if you come to Him and you cry out day and night, He's going to give you a quicker response? He's going to move up the timetable? That's prevailing prayer. It's prevailing upon the Lord to keep His promises and it's persistence in seeking a sooner response. Come on, Lord, I, I know you want to do this. I've seen it in your word. And so I'm praying that it happens sooner as opposed to later. Prayer offered fervently. Prayer offered faithfully. Prayer offered that takes God at His word and returns His word to Him. Like my daughter, Anna Marie, still says to this day, But you said... <laughs> I've told you that before. She, that's one of her favorite things. You know? I'm sorry, Anna Marie, it doesn't look like we're going to be able to have family movie night tonight. Some things have come up. Oh, but you said! <laughs> yeah, I did. Get the video. You know what I mean? It's prevailing prayer. Lord, you said. This is, you. This is not my word. It's His word. It's your word, Father. I'm just asking you to do what you said you were going to do. And what's beautiful about that is it's not obstinate or, or you know impudent to do that. The Lord says, I want you to do that. I want you to call. I want you to call my word out to me. Well, why would he do that? Because it increases faith, it keeps us in his word, it keeps us coming back to him, draws us into that beautiful, wonderful relationship. Daniel, go back to Daniel 9. Daniel is pressing the Lord, just like this widow pressing the unrighteous judge. Daniel is pressing the Lord on his promises. And I believe pressing the Lord to move up the timetable. Why do you say that? Well, verse 19, he says, O Lord, do not delay. Because your city and your people are called by your name. Do not delay. Don't wait. 
Now think about this. Do you realize there were at least four possible end dates? No, three. Three possible end dates for the exile. At least. There may have been more. Three possible dates when the exile could have ended. Why is that? Because there were three waves of captivity. Right? The first wave was in 605 B.C. Daniel was taken along with some people out of Jerusalem and Judah. In 597, King Jehoiachin was taken. In 586, Jerusalem finally fell. So, which is it? 70 years of captivity. 70 years of captivity from when, Lord? From 605, 597, or 586? It makes a difference, doesn't it? Daniel is prevailing upon the Lord for the soonest possible return from the land. And the soonest possible return would be just four years after this prayer was prayed. You see, it's 539 B.C. as Daniel is praying to the Lord. Same year, by the way, as Daniel was thrown into the lion's den, which makes me wonder if this was the prayer that got him thrown into the lion's den. I don't know, but it it seems to kind of line up. It's possible. But it's 539. Daniel is praying fervently. And if you go from 70 B.C., Seven or, or sorry, 605 BC. You go 70 years down from 605 BC. You land at 535. That's only four years away. And Daniel's saying, "Don't delay, Lord." Now it, it could be the 70 years was from Jehoiachin's exile in 597, which would be 12 years after Daniel's praying. It'd be 527 BC. But still, 12 years, a dozen years. That's not too bad. Lord, come quickly. Or it could be 23 years later in 516 B.C. if it's from Jerusalem's fall. I always just kind of assumed it was. That Jerusalem would fall and then when you start counting down 70 years of captivity, right? Apparently not. And what's interesting is how this whole thing plays out. When was it? When did the Lord God open the door for the Jewish people to begin to return? We know the date. Cyrus made the proclamation in the first year of his reign as king, 538 B.C. One year after Daniel's prayer was prayed. What does that tell us? It means that God responded to Daniel's prayer sooner than the soonest date. If it was 70 years, captivity, from the first group coming in 605, it should have been in 535, but God opened the door in 538, three years ahead of schedule. Did you realize that? That the exiles had the door wide open to return three years before their exile was supposed to be over according to the law of God? Why is that? Because grace trumps law. Because God is a God of grace. And God always wants to give grace And I was telling some brothers today, so if we err, we really ought to err to the side of grace in the way we live our lives. Grace over law. God makes it possible for them to go back three years ahead of schedule by His own prevailing grace. So brothers and sisters in Christ, do you think that maybe the Lord might move up His timetable of the second coming if His people prayed a little more fervently? Could we actually impact... Jesus says, the Son doesn't know, the angels don't know, only the Father knows the day and the hour. He doesn't say the Father has it so locked in He won't change His mind. He doesn't say God has a certain date fixed 
And no matter what you do or say or pray, He's not going to move that. No, He says the Father knows. I read this today and I thought, wow, i got to start praying a little more fervently. Oh Lord, do not delay. Come quickly, Lord Jesus. Jesus said in Luke 18, verse 8, I tell you that He will bring about justice for them quickly. However, when the Son of Man comes, will He find faith on the earth? 